everyone. Welcome to the Practica Podcast, the podcast where we encourage the practical application of the pulpit ministry in the local church. And I am one of your hosts, Josh Loftus, and I'm here with my co-host of co-hostinage, David Lawler. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. good. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this episode and even, um, just yeah. kind of what we talked about on Sunday. It was a good one. Yeah. yeah not 100%. sermon. <laughs> not sermon. I'm no. not saying like, Hey, my no. sermon was so hey. awesome. You know, you know, I was I was in rare form this Sunday. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> yeah. If if that is ever true, people are like, oh, okay. This it was the spirit. It's never David. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know, it's just keeping you humble, right? Amen. Right. Why doesn't the spirit ever get blamed if we like if we bomb? Well, because like, the because the Holy about. Spirit's perfect. Oh. Yeah. So it's okay. always pointing at my imperfections. So. You know, there's a way in which I'm not looking to the perfect spirit and the perfect, per, our mm. perfect God. So, which you know, I think in, is in fair. Rare, in in full in 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 full Reformed Baptist form, you responded to my joke in full seriousness, <laughs> full theological seriousness. Well, Josh, that's because the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I totally did. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I just not, okay. I'm just not Pentecostal right. enough for the joke. You know what? I get it. I understand. That's okay. We can work on it. I'm not. I'm not Pentecostal. Either. I'm. I'm more. I'm more. Um, what's what's the word? Uh, introvert is not the word. But eh, I'm not Pentecostal. I don't know what the word is. Anyway, I don't care. We're we'll figure. On. We'll a, figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. I've got a dad joke for oh, you. Oh, you you uh, you do. I do. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of you when I when I read this. I don't know if that's okay. to be flattering or insulting. This is, I, I, I'd want to say this is this is in between a dad joke and what are those jokes that you call the anti-joke. non-jokes and Ooh. anti-joke. Okay, now I feel I'm like excited. it's right in between. I feel like it's right in between. Okay. Like it's a little bit of both. Now I'm excited. Sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Today my son came up to me and asked, can I have a bookmark? I burst into tears. 11 years old, and he still doesn't know my name's Brian. <laughs> I've heard that one. That's so Oh, good. you have? I have. Oh, yeah. darn it. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I have one for you as uh, well. Okay. This is right, super super cheesy. My dad laughed at it, so we're like grandpa grandpa joke status. Yeah. Um, but an elderly woman during the service had turned to her husband, and she was concerned about something, so she turned to him and she whispered, "Hey, I just silently passed gas. Uh, what what should I do?" And so he told her, "Well, you should probably get the batteries in your hearing aids checked." <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was in a church with some solid wooden um, pews. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> you know. Oh, okay, goodness. I have I have one more. Okay, one more. <clears throat> this, this one I have to redeem you. I'm yeah. going to try. Um, so to the man in the wheelchair who stole my camouflage jacket, you can hide, but you can't run. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> That's... <laughs> oh, you know, man. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. No, that We're going to. I, I really dig the the, um, the the dad jokes that get shared online. They're so entertaining to me. Oh, yeah. 100%. Has there have you seen an an increase in dad jokes being shared there at Redeemer? 
You know, I feel like I, I really want to know that we're influencing our listeners in the right way. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't heard uh, like oh, no. a ton of a ton of dad jokes. Um, I've heard like yeah. one or two recommendations. Um, the best have totally come from Katie and what she posts online. So I'm always so entertained by him. Shout out. Shout out, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm absolutely. Yeah. But we'll we'll see. Let's see how we can influence it, you know, continually. That's and, right. So that's right. Yeah. The very wide influence we have on this podcast. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. massive, massive audience. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's hop into our text for today. So this past Lord's Day, you were in First John chapter three. Yes, sir. Uh, verses seven through ten. Yes. Right. So finishing off kind of that 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 section there um, in chapter three. So I'm going to read this for us, and then you're going to hop into some uh, synopsis, some exposition synopsis. Absolutely. Look at that. Two big words. That's that's <laughs> all I've got. That's the best I can do. Don't ask me to spell them or tell you what what they mean. <laughs> All right, here we go. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Uh, amen. amen. Amen indeed. So another 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 tough chapter, or, or excuse me, another tough passage. Yeah. You know, I think last week, last week was kind of the... The uh, the one punch and this is the two punch, right? And we got yeah. one to the face and one to the stomach here. So, <laughs> uh, so it's good though, right? Because again, like as as we've talked about, John does a very good job in this particular book of holding two very two truths that are difficult to reconcile and holding them both up as neat one true and then two needing to be reconciled yeah absolutely right? because we have his his very very eloquent display of god's grace and forgiveness and and how we need to be trusting obviously in the works of christ for our salvation on one hand which is absolutely true but then on the other hand he's saying but don't get lazy yeah right like this doesn't give you an excuse to live however you want uh, so both of these need to come together in a very James-like faith without works is dead uh, way. Yeah. Um. And and we're on we're on we're on the other side of the spectrum now with with yeah. John right. Yeah. And it's some difficult passages to read, but it's very very needed. Yeah, I think one of the things you know I've heard from a few people in our church um, is the tension they feel. Um, in in reading a text like this, even last week we had mentioned, you know, I, I had been approached by someone, and they're like, "Man, I I hear the the weight of lawlessness. I don't hear, I don't hear you yet addressing how to be lawful. I hear the the issue of law breaking. How am, how can I be in God's eyes a law keeper? 
And mm. and that's yeah, a big, which is a fantastic question. It is a fantastic question. I think the tension in that is well, we're getting there, and even this next Sunday, we're gonna we're gonna be in that passage and how we love one another. That is in the new covenant, God's design mm. for how we um, how we are law keepers. We love God and we love our our brother. But there is that tension that we we need to not move too quickly from in the reality that. There are those who are claiming to know God and have fellowship with God in his church while actually yeah. having fellowship with the world and their lawbreakers. And so in this text, and I'll just kind of get into our overview, um, John is really addressing an important topic that the believer needs to walk according to God's word and we could say God's moral law. And the distinction I tried to make right at the beginning, even before we read the text, so that we could see it through the lens of the gospel, it was really important to say, listen, the believer does not follow God's moral law in hopes of gaining life. It is a means of grace for those who have been given life. And so we always have to understand and remember that order. Um, And so we looked at verses 7 through 10, understanding that God's children practice righteousness since Christ destroyed Satan's works and freed us to abide in him. And so, of course, we looked at the issue, you know, right out of the gate in verse verse 7 of John saying, listen, don't let anyone deceive you. Uh, one who is a believer is not someone who can keep on in this type of lawless way. And so we really examine the distinction and that tension between those who are claiming to know God but do not show it in the fruit of their life, and those who do know God. And so I even tried to give an application in the midst of the questions and in the exposition to really say that practicing righteousness doesn't mean we're simply thoughtful or or just knowledgeable with our doctrine. No, it means we're actually self-disciplined in growing in the Word of God. We're abiding and maturing in Christ. Uh, which is why we ask the question, what does your practice in life say about who you abide in? And so we really talked about the need to practice righteousness, and that those who practice lawlessness are not Christians. That's that, it's those who do not <clears throat> truly know God. And yet, John actually gives us the source, which I think is so profound, and the most important verse in that section is the end of verse 8, where John tells us Christ came, the Son of Man came, to destroy the works of of Satan. And so in that, one of the things I found incredibly important to do was to go back to the garden. That, That in going back to the garden, we see the great opposition between Satan and Christ. I brought up what many reformers have mentioned as the proto evangelium which is Latin for the first mention of the gospel, essentially. But that that's a profound eschatological statement that God makes to the devil in Genesis 3.15. The serpent, which Revelation tells us is the devil. But I really tried to outline from that that through Christ coming and defeating the enemy, we are no longer in bondage to sin and slavery. If we have believed upon Christ and repented of our sin, then Satan has lost his power and his works, uh, we're told. 
because the Son of God has appeared to destroy his works. And so in that, I tried to outline what we find in Jesus's life is that in his earthly ministry and life, he released the demonized. In his atoning death, he removed sin. And in his resurrection, he reestablished a right standing before God. He gained what Adam lost in the garden. And so then through what Christ accomplished and his victory, meaning then that we're no longer dead in our sin, following Satan, following the the way of the world, we are transferred to the kingdom of the Son. Uh, We are walking in Christ. And so because Christ is victorious, we're no longer children of wrath. We're children of God. And so we got to that, the end section where there, there was kind of those difficult verses, verse nine, you know, where it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Um, and John makes the point for God's seed abides in him. That's why he doesn't keep on sinning and make a practice of it. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And in that, I really tried to make a point that that's not saying that Christians don't wrestle with sin. They're going to. You can't You can't get sinless perfectionism out of that verse. You can't claim, well, see, if you, know, if you wrestle with this or that sin, then, then you're just not a Christian unless you're perfectly uh, sinless. You know, even the Wesleyans would make the point that there's a state in which the believer on this side of heaven can reach a type of perfection. Um, they can reach a type of perfect sanctification, they would call it. Um, And yet, that language John uses again is language out of Genesis. He's saying the reason why they can't practice sin is because God's seed abides in him. What's the seed of the woman? It's Christ. Because we abide in Christ, our affections and our actions and and our attention is toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's that distinction between the false believer who seeks to satisfy themselves and the true believer who makes a practice of purifying himself, as John has already said. And so in that, you know, again, we really asked, you know, am I simply claiming to be a Christian and constantly living in sin? Or is the is the root in my life uh, Christ? And is that what is causing me to produce Fruit, And so, you know, we really concluded, and this can even be a big part of our discussion, we concluded on the question, is my life marked by righteous practice and genuine love? That's really where we're going to go next in the exposition. But in all of that, um, John is really reminding us we've been set free from our sin, but we shouldn't use our freedom to do whatever we want. We should use our freedom to love and to serve one another. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And that's, I think in order to answer that question, I think it's a fantastic question, right? Right. Is our, is our life marked by, you said, you said righteous living and and love. Uh, Righteous practice. So righteous living would be another way to say that. And then yeah, genuine love. Genuine love. Yeah. I think it's important, especially like I think about the times that we are living in right now, right? And especially when, at least when this episode drops, we're in, we're in, we're in a time of the year that is dedicated and highly celebrated to, <laughs> uh, 
lifestyles that are outside of the scope of scripture. Right. Right. We have gay pride and LGBTQ stuff, right? And it's, we live in a culture that is quickly moving further and further away from the standard of scripture, right? And that's something that is very easy to see. Yeah. So if we as Christians are going to live lives that look different, we have to understand the source of our authority, right? We need to understand the Bible. We need, it, it matters how we read it. It matters how we listen to it. It matters how we view it, right? And before we answer that question, and, and you, you already talked about this, but it, it requires that we understand Scripture is our authority. You want to know how to live a life that is righteous. Do you want to know how to genuinely love people? It's found in the Word of God. Right. Right? In, in the Word of God is inerrant. It's without error. Right. It's authoritative, meaning what it says goes. Right. There's this bumper sticker. And I think we talked about this on the last uh, last episode of the Reformatory, which is why it's stuck in my head. There's this bumper sticker that I've seen before where it says, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And that's so warped. Yeah. Right. Because it's God said it. That settles it. Right. And we need to understand that scripture is our authority. Yeah. And we don't have as created beings, we don't have the right, whether you're a Christian or not, you don't have the right to define your own truth and live in the way that you want, right? So we need to understand the scriptures, understand the place that they are to have in our life, and then that shows us then how to live righteously, right? Um, And and that's, it's it's something that every Christian, like that, that's step one. You want to know how to do this. You have to be immersed in scripture. You have to see it as your only authority, your ultimate authority. You have to see it as without error. You have to see it as sufficient, right? Right. A low view of scripture is going to result in a low desire for righteousness. But well, the opposite is also true. Yeah. Right? The more we are immersed in scripture and the higher we place scripture in our lives, the more our motivations will be in tune with that of Jesus. Yeah. You know, if you think of the false teachers John is dealing with, it really goes to show that they're they're using the word to lean against their own interpretations and ideas for living and yeah. and John is really calling for an understanding of f- submitting first to God um and in submitting to God then allowing then allowing for God to be the one who dictates and determines life and practice uh, I love that that's where our confession starts our 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 church's mm, confession yeah. the second london baptist confession starts with scripture it starts with saying that scripture alone is our 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 sole uh uh resource of understanding revelation of understanding uh, again revelation of who god is uh, it is our our understanding for faith and and practice and so from that that's where it says okay now now we get into how we understand what we confess about faith and practice. But first, that has to be determined by the word. And so it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, I'll often say in a sermon, look upon Christ. My prayer is that, you know, I said Sunday is that people, I I pray that people would use every possible means that God has given to practice righteousness and love the brethren. Well, Mm -hmm. if someone were to come up to me and say, "Well, well, how do you look to Christ? How do you use every possible means? Well, man, you need to look at the Word. 
um, Jesus in in John ten makes the point that those the sheep hear his voice, they know him, and and even you know again um, you you see the point that God has given us the church, not just for for more mature believers to be a radar of pointing out our sin, but even to care for us in 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 those more mature believers pointing us to how to understand the scripture, how to grow in the scriptures. That's a really important point. You know, Sunday I had really encouraged our people that in us truly considering how to love God and and love our neighbor, which truly is another way to say practice righteousness and and, and genuine love. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I really encouraged our people to go read Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Look at look at the Ten Commandments. Look at what God is asking of, what he's commanding, not asking, what he's commanding in Commandments 1 through 4, and what he's calling for to our neighbor in Commandments 6 through 10. And I think that's such an important thing that, you know, when we talk about practicing righteousness or genuine love, it's not just what bad shows we turn off or you know, what language we're careful about. Sure, those things are 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 valuable if they are truly affecting us in a negative way. But to practice righteousness and genuine love, I think, really means that we are thinking of how is my life marked by those things in a way that honors God. God must yeah. be, and his word must be the context. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, I mean, it's those old bracelets people used to wear in the 90s, right? What would Jesus do? Yeah. Right? And, and and people made fun of them and stuff like that. But it's the best question you can ask. Yeah. Especially in the culture that we live in today that's constantly barraging you with what to believe, what not to believe, what to stand for, what not to stand for. The ultimate question Christians need to be asking is, what would Jesus do here? How would he think? How would he act? What would he say? Right? What does the Bible say about this? Is one of is if not the most important question Christians can be asking today. Yeah. Right. And that's never going to change. Right. Right. So 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 you want to you want to live a life that's righteous. You want to live a life that looks like Jesus. You can't do it without reading his word, right? We know from John chapter one that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. It's talking about Jesus. You can't separate Jesus and his word, right? You can't take his, you know, just the parts of Jesus that you like. And then, oh, he said some harsh things about this. And he said some harsh things about this. I'm I'm, I'm not going to, you know, put so much focus on that. You're not allowed to do that. You have to take him. You (laughs) got to take everything. Yeah. Well, Jesus said in John 5, verse 39 and 40, you know, you claim to search the scriptures um, to find life, but in them, in the scriptures, you will you will find me, and yet you yeah. refuse to come to me. Yeah, um, we can't exactly. use the scriptures as something to lean against for support. We have to go to the scriptures in submission, you know, as though we're being really asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures to help us to see yeah. and look upon Christ. Well, and and they they deny they they denied him, and they did not want to come to him because it required something of them, right? Right, and it required humility. It required denying self. It required putting to death the things of the flesh and putting on the robes of Christ. 
right? And that is something that we as Christians have to do on a daily basis, right? And and again, none of that's done without the knowledge and the belief and the the security that Christ is the one that supplies the robes. He's the one that puts them on our shoulders and he's the one that sustains them on us, right? But that doesn't mean now they're like, hey, I've got these nice new white comfy robes. I'm going to go do whatever I want, right? And we've yeah. talked about that at length, right? But it's it's important, I think, that John emphasizes at the end of this chapter that one of the ways and one of the main ways that he shows here it, uh, as as a as a as a trait, a characteristic of those that do not practice righteousness is they do not love their brother. Right. They don't love their family in Christ. Right. And that really gets back to, again, one of the primary ways that we show we are in Christ and that Christ is in us is by the way that we love and serve those around us. Yeah. Right? Especially those in the local church. Right. And you can't live a life that claims Jesus Christ without showing his love toward your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Right. And I think that's often something that is, I think, forgotten in how we definitely how we interact with each other. Right. Because all you got to do is look on social media to see Christians at each other's throats. And more than often, it's over things that don't actually matter. Yeah. Well, I, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know, I think even I think social media is a bit of a low hanging fr- fruit or, it or absolutely low hanging yeah. rotten fruit. I guess it would be more appropriate. Low hanging rotted fruit. <laughs> yeah. You know. It is the rotted fruit on the ground. Um, yes, it is. Uh, but I think even you, th- you, you know, I, I wouldn't say many of us are part of these, but um, you even think of how do Christians speak about their, their local church? How do they yeah. speak about the the local body they're part of? And what is their devotion to those brothers and sisters? I mean, again, you think of what Paul talks about in, in Ephesians 5, that, you know, the way in which a husband is to love his wife and the way in which a wife is to submit to and, and respect her husband is a model of Christ in the church that that really has a, a more important pointing to, which is the truth of the gospel displayed in Christ and the church. And what's fascinating about that when you think about it is how important then is, is our relationship to one another and our submission to Christ? Which the answer is yeah. it's very, very important. Christ has loved us, therefore we are to submit to him. And so, you know, even in my study this last week, as we get into John addressing the second table of the law and calling for loving our neighbor, the, loving the brethren, as he would say, you know, the, the thing that I keep thinking about is, what would it look like if every Christian, before we critique anything or anyone else, if we first examined ourselves honestly and, and really thought, how am I listening to the exposition in order to practically apply uh, this? Mm. I mean, again, the whole heart of why we do this podcast is to encourage the believer, listen, don't just, don't just take some anecdotal pieces from the exposition. That whole thing was displayed, was put before you, not to, to be this perfect uh, display of, of preaching, but to be a faithful nourishment for you 
to continue to walk in in righteousness and genuine love? I mean, yeah. honestly, that is, I think that becomes a really important question of how am I seeking to apply this? Um, yeah, it, it, it matters. It matters how you hear the word preached, right? It matters how you listen, right? If we're going to be hearers and doers of the word, it matters how you view the sermon being preached on Sunday morning, for example, right? If you're viewing the sermon as simply an opportunity for intellectual advancement, right? Or to, you know, brush up on some of the historical context or find some interesting, um, you know, antidotes for Wednesday night small group, right? You're, you're engaging with the sermon incorrectly, right? The correct way to view it and to listen to it and to hear it and to interact with it is 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 through the lens of obviously the word of God and the spirit but but seeing okay lord here is this man faithfully expositing the word of God it is my responsibility to take that and then ask the lord lord reveal to me where i am lacking reveal to me where your word is coming against my lifestyle or my thinking Reveal to me where there is much of me and my flesh and less of Christ. And Spirit, please do the work through your word and through your people to make me more like Jesus, right? If we are not listening to the sermon with the context of sanctification in our heads, we are listening incorrectly. Mm, and it's right. just going to turn into an intellectual experience where we're just receiving knowledge, right? We're just receiving information, right? And it's good information. It's theological. It's right. But if it stops at the intellect and does not get into the heart to where we are then looking at the word of God as something not just to understand, but to practice, we're missing the point, right? right. Yeah, I think even, you know, Again, this is where we find this tension from John. He's really adamant to say, listen, the false teaching you keep getting berated by is harmful. It's either mm-hmm. going to be harmful for you to be legalistic or it's going to be harmful for you to be lawless. But a true Christian grows in the law of God. They can say yeah. everything the psalmist says in Psalm 119. God, I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. That's a call not to meditate on judicial or ceremonial aspects of the law, but that important timeless distinction of looking upon God's character and saying, while I will never be perfect in this life, and I'm not trying to seek a type of perfection, I'm seeking to be faithful to my Lord. And so in that, you have this tension of, uh, again, we keep being reminded and confronted with it, that there's a tension of harm, John continually saying, listen, these are things that will harm you. Don't go off into these extremes. But then there's hope. And I think the hope um, uh, that John focuses on at the end of verse 8, which is so profound to me, and it's why I really made um, that a, a, a single point in my outline, is that Christ has destroyed the works of the devil. Mm. That means you're yeah. enabled you are the you are the, for the workmanship for the of first them. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so now again it's not a it's not a it's not a covenant unto earning life. It's a covenant where you've been given life. 
you have received eternal salvation, and therefore all the works of which you walk in have actually been created by God in Christ for you. That's literally Paul's right. words in Ephesians 2.10. Right. And right. so, right. again, like you think of, to me, I think the end of verse 8 is profound because today I think there are a lot of people searching for hope and especially what we find in America is some very terrifying eschatology. And mm. and again, everybody has different uh, eschatological perspectives or traditions. But one of the points that I think is so critical that I, you know, pastorally wanted to drive home for our people was the reality that whatever your eschatological view is, whatever your view of the end times is, you really have to deal. You need to, as a believer, you need to deal with John's words that the Son of God appeared to destroy, not to kind of set aside, not to combat, but to destroy the works of the devil. That is a profound point and so that really reminds us that the seed of the woman came and did crush the head of the serpent. Um, I yeah. mean, again, it always reminds me of, you know, for example, I brought up John 12, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And in the very next verse, he says, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so there is a there is a hope, really an eternal hope, we could say, in the midst of the, the difficulties of this life and the harms of this world. And I think that's a profound point that that John reminds us. It's that tension of already not yet. Already we've been made alive with Christ. Not mm-hmm. yet are we glorified. Not yet are we in the new heavens and the new earth. But we're no longer deceived because we've been delivered. And that's a profound hope for the Christian when they, when they think about how do I do good works? How do I love my neighbor? Well, and there's no greater motivation, right? Like, I mean, that is that is the greatest motivation to love your brothers and sisters and live a life that looks like Christ. It's because he died for you. He died the death you deserved. He lived the life you needed to live. And he rose from the dead, conquering your sin, the power of Satan, and death itself, right? And you have a conquering king that broke down the walls of your hostility, just like the angel with Paul and Silas. And he took your chains off and he said, run. Don't run unto salvation, but run because you have been saved, Mm. right? Pursue me in love and gratefulness and, and, and thankfulness, not out of fear, right? That is what your Savior did for you. And there is no love that has been put on display in the history of mankind that even comes close to touching that. And we as Christians, above all people, have the greatest motivation to love and to live lives that are righteous because of what our Savior has done for us. Yeah, amen. And And we would do well to keep that thought at the forefront of our minds more often, especially when we're interacting with our brothers and sisters, when we are worshiping on the Lord's day, when we're at work, when we're in the home, 
when we're having a good time, when we're having a bad time, in the times of, of joy in our life and times of sorrow. And both of those times come, often sorrow more often. But there is nothing that brings more hope than the knowledge that you are claimed by Jesus. And that is a hope that will never, ever be stripped away from you. There's no power in hell. There's no power on this earth that can take away the assurance that you are Jesus's and he is yours. And that's a hope that we as Christians need to shout from the rooftops yeah, and keep at the forefront of our minds more often because it provides the greatest motivation and just a life of gratitude when we remember who we were and in spite of all of that, why Jesus loved us anyway. Yeah. It always reminds me of that old hymn before the throne of God where it says when Tate, when yeah. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within upward yeah. I look. Not inward, yeah. but upward I look to see yep. Christ there upon the throne who made an end to all my sin. What a profound so, yeah. thing. You know, we concluded yeah. and I think it's a great way to conclude in this that you know, I reminded our church that we've been given the Lord's Day as a reminder uh, of our Savior's finished work. It's a day mm-hmm. of hope for the Christian, yeah, regardless of what people's particular conviction is around the Lord's Day. The fact that we have a Lord's Day has never been disputed among orthodoxy. And yeah. so in that, we're reminded that it is a profound day of hope that Christ is risen and he is reigning. And so out of that, I really encouraged our church, listen, take that, take this day, not to get ahead, but to get with God and think on the truth that the Son of God appeared and examine then the fruit of your life, that you would practice righteousness as he is righteous. And I think that order yeah. is always so critical for us. I am, I am such a type A doer, that if someone says, listen, go examine the fruit of your life, I have lists mentally prepared. I have sure. all I have, I have all the to-dos in order to earn something all worked out. Um, and I already have the, the list of why are the reasons that I'm not succeeding. But that fails to think rightly on the first point um, of hope. And that's what attacks harm in this world. The hope of yeah. Christ confronts the harm of Satan, sin, and death. And, Amen, and, and that's why John, I think, reminds us right in the middle of this text, listen, Christ is victorious. He is the hope yep. of every sinner who looks upon him. And so in light of that hope, examine the fruit of your lives that you would practice righteousness and seek to genuinely love the brethren. Well, yeah. And it's not just a hope in what he has done. Or what he will do. It's a hope also of what he is doing now. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus Jesus walks with you now. He is with you now. There is no storm in this life that you go through without Jesus at your side giving you the strength to stand. Yeah, in the and Gospel is, of John, Jesus says, you know, to his disciples in that upper room, he tells them, those who believe upon him, him Jesus says, my father and I will make our home in them. Yeah. 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 Jesus promises to be with you to the end of the age. Yeah. It's one of the most poetic portions of scripture that I love so much. Yeah. And it's just this, it's this, 
it's this promise of the Savior to not just get the work done, brush his hands off, and say, all right, I'll see you later. He yeah. dwells with his people. Yeah. He stays with his people. He communes with his people because he knows we need it. Yeah. Because he knows we're a people that forget and we're a people that lose hope and we're a people that 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 fall into despair. Yeah. And he knows these wayward lost sheep that I love so much, they still need a shepherd. Yeah. And he commits to being our shepherd until he leads us in to heaven's pastures. And that is something that, man, just there is nothing that brings more hope than that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Jesus's words there when he says that in Matthew 28 28 in the Great Commission, he is saying that after proclaiming that he is victorious over sin, Mm. Satan and death. And so it's it is it is a profound hope now in this age and in the age to come. Um, as, as, uh, to quote you, as you would say, a hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's right. I'm still waiting for the time where you're uh, going to like last minute, you know, I'm going to say something you're not going to fully agree and be like, like eh, eh. 72%. Yeah. Yeah. 97, 97%. <laughs> yeah. I want to leave. I want to leave. I want to leave 3% there just in case. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. man. Well, yeah. I love it. Yeah. 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 Well, good, good discussion. Good up, man. Yeah. Yeah. We should definitely yeah. well, encourage listeners to bring questions. We would love to interact with those. We would love questions. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Please send them over. It gives uh, d- gives David and I actually more things to, it gives us a better focus. Yeah. Because then you just get, otherwise you get just an unload yeah. like today, and which, you know, it's fine if that's what y'all want, yeah. but we would prefer questions. And you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe a cool encouragement we could do is, you know, uh, Josh and I have been thinking uh, about what to do for bonus episodes. Maybe you have a question about mm, expository yeah. preaching or the local church or how to, you know, practically apply the word and it doesn't strictly fit with first John. That's okay. Send us those. That's totally okay. Yeah. Send us those questions and you know, you'll, in a good way, you'll, you'll make us uh, need to do a bonus episode. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, not gonna, not gonna drop any names or anything like that, but I'll give a little teaser. Um, yeah. some of those bonus apps may have some guests. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm working on some stuff right now. I might have some, uh, might have some cool guests for you guys. We need to that, get uh, like, we almost need to get you know. like somebody who is like seasoned in dad jokes. We need to get, like, oh, there we go. Yeah. We need to get someone who can so like, you have, you have, I've got a few in mind. I could get thorny. I feel like he'd drop a good dad oh, joke. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause most of the dad jokes probably are about but, him. But anyway. you know that if we have thorn yeah. on, we would have to actually go to Chicago so we can enjoy a cigar with him while we, while we record. We don't that that could be arranged. I'll send I'll 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 send him a text. I'll be like, hey man, uh, what if we came over for the express purpose of lounging it up yes. with you and then dad jokes, yeah. right? Yeah. What's a better pitch than that? <laughs> What's not to go for? I'll start standing on the corner. We'll work for plane tickets. Yes, that's right. That's right. We'll tell jokes for money. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, David, we're gonna get out of here because I gotta go down to Tacoma. I'm All right. not looking so everyone that. pray for that's Josh. Please pray for me. Yeah. As he goes Please to pray for me. Yeah. Well, listeners, whether you are at Redeemer or listening abroad, we thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys. We are we are glad that uh, people are interacting with it, and it seems to be encouraging for you listeners. That that means a lot to David and I. Um, yeah, certainly. And we're, 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 thank, we're thankful that the Lord is, is using it 
for the purpose in which we wanted it to be used. Yeah, that's, amen. That's, that's really encouraging to see. Yeah. So um, you can catch us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PracticaPod www.practicapod.com all those places you can get in touch with us submit questions uh, comments whatever you guys want to do we would appreciate it we thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Practica Podcast have a good week Mm